Welcome to the XVZF podcast. I'm Philip Mendoza Vieira. The story you're about to hear was told by Clint Harwood on May 29th, 2014 at the Magpie Tap Room in Toronto. The theme of the evening was persistence, stories about endurance. Thank you kindly. Okay. I get to be your first speaker for tonight, so um, I'll try not to mess it up too badly. I'm terrified. Anyway, I tried to be thin once. As you can see, it didn't work out so well. However, it did lead to an interesting situation that required a fair amount of perseverance, so that's where I'm going to go with this. In my 20s, which was unfortunately an embarrassingly long time ago, I looked at myself and realized my large waistline was becoming ample and my blood pressure was going up. So I tried to get a little active, you know? So I took up jogging, because that's what everybody else does. Well, with me, it was more like lumbering and dancing bears and circuses. It was really not a good scene. So about six months later, I realized I was a little bit heavier and a whole lot grumpier, and I decided to try something else. I got into powerlifting. I, most of y'all probably have no idea what that is, but uh, trust me, by the end, you'll know way more than you want to. Big guy takes on sport he's probably talented in. Doesn't require a lot of perseverance. We all kind of understand that. The first couple years I just blew through. It was great. And then I did something strange. I set an outlandish goal. I wanted to be the first Canadian to bench press 800 pounds. Now, don't worry too much about powerlifting and bench shirts and stuff like that. If you want to know, come talk to me afterwards. Let me set scale. 800 pounds at the time had been done by six people in the world. Most of them well known to um, chemical enhancement. I wanted to do this drug free because, hey, this is a hobby. <laughs> and um, yeah, I was at the time a top 10 lifter in Canada. I was benched about 600. I had a really, really long way to go. Like, that's a big, big 200 pounds. Trust me on this one. And I learned an awful lot about setting outlandish goals. The first boss you are going to hit when you set an outlandish goal, is the patronizing smile. People are going to look at you. They're going to smile and say, oh, isn't that sweet? <laughs> they don't believe you're going to do that. Come on, nobody's going to do that. That's crazy. This boss is just a straight up gear check. Put your head down, bull your way through it. You will be fine. The second boss, the second boss is a lot more fun. The second boss is the explanation. And this one's hard because it's people you know and like. People you know and like are going to sit down and give you the most spectacular collection of worst case scenarios that you have ever heard. <laughs> I mean, I had lifters telling me, like people I knew and like I'd trained with for years, saying, well, your bones are going to shatter. <laughs> According to one of my family members, I was going to die of a cancerous heart attack while simultaneously destroying my career and marriage by pursuing this goal. <laughs> now, Obviously, this is something that looks crazy. It's, it's got a little bit outlandish. I'm okay with that. You have to do something to actually challenge, am I doing something that's really going to end up hurting myself and the people I care about? So I had a little fail safe in there. Honestly, that's my wife and sisters and two other close friends. If they thought I was doing something crazy, I would actually rein in. But the rest of the world, I just went with humor. The explanation, how do you deal with that? I told them that I wanted to be patient zero in a weightlifting epidemic that depopulates North America. <laughs> Just like Arnold in the early 80s, it was going to be nothing but graveyards and pump and iron. 
Now, I, I don't want to belittle the health effects. Uh, cute little story. I had a torn tricep while I was working in DC uh, doing an HR system implementation. Now, in August in DC, you don't wear long sleeve shirts, at least I don't, because, well, I overheat pretty easily. And if you've ever torn a muscle, I'm hoping nobody else in this room has, it's exactly what it sounds like. You've ripped a part of your body on the inside, and it bleeds. So my right arm, all of it, from shoulder to fingertips, was the worst bruise you have ever seen. Like, you can imagine what knocking your knee into a coffee table is like. The word necrotic came out more than once. It was the most horrible, deep blue, purple green. So I'm wearing a raincoat in the office in beautiful and sunny Herndon, Virginia, and my boss comes over to me with his best. I'm about to talk to one of those tech weirdos. <laughs> he says, Clint, you're, you're wearing a raincoat. It's a beautiful sunny day and we're inside. And I, I explain what's happened and I spend the night in the hospital and you really don't want to see this. Apparently, he was an ex-Marine. So not only did he want to see this, he was going to sell tickets. <laughs> I was a right-handed nightmare on Elm Street for an entire week. The funny part of it though, isn't the funny part. The funny part is it set me back seven months. I went from bench in 635 to bench in zero. How do you get through that? Make tomorrow better than today. It takes a lot to actually humbly look at yourself and say, you know what, I'm gonna put 50 pounds on that bar and I'm gonna lift it like it's 600. It was messy, but I managed. The third boss. The third boss is the hardest because it's not actually a person. It's one of those nasty boss fights where you have to fight yourself and all your friends. It's fighting the outlier. You have become somebody that is no longer part of a normative group. You are no longer part of that central tendency. Let me put this into perspective. I used to think that becoming an excellent lifter would make me welcome in gyms. You'd think, I mean, you become a great pool player, pool rooms want you to show up. You become a great dart player, dart places want you to show up. You become a great weightlifter, and let me tell you, they want you to get out the door. I have gotten out of a good life contract six months into it, and I did not pay for the second six months. They were that happy to see me go. And I had to wonder why, because we were great corporate citizens. I mean, as you can probably tell, pretty laid back guy. We're not screaming, we're not yelling. And it wasn't even that we showed up a lot and pushed their equipment to the max. That wasn't the challenge. The challenge was most people who walk into a gym are like me right at the very beginning. I wanted to lose a little bit of weight. I wanted to get a little healthy. Well, when those are your goals and you walk into a gym and you see 12 guys in the back, eyes bloodshot, you know, faces bright red under tonnages that you just can't even imagine. Well, what are you going to do? <laughs> You're going to turn around and walk right out. You don't belong there. That's not your gym. That's where the, the, those weirdos are. So in a pretty remarkable set of persistence, what I did was I became a part-time gym owner. I opened Canada's longest running powerlifting gym in my garage. We've been open for over 10 years now. This has cost, like I have some of the best equipment. There's thousands of dollars of equipment. And then I had to find people that actually wanted to take part in this. And well, you know, 97% of the population has never even heard of the sport. And then the, of the other three, you know, at least two of those don't really think you're doing anything worth doing. So my email address has been continuously posted publicly on the internet for 11 years now. 
I get the best spam. And ultimately, I did, in fact, get the 800 bench. I was Canada's first bench of 800 pounds. I'm currently ranked second in the world, and I'm trying for the all-time heaviest bench press by a drug-free person. And I have to... <laughs> And at one point, I had to ask myself, how did I, how did I stick with it? How did I, there, there's no, no money in this. I've never made a nickel. It's all straight cost. And I looked at it, and I said two things. I looked at the stars. I looked at the goal. I wanted, to, I wanted the bench. It captured my imagination. I loved it. And I looked at my toes. I looked at the next step. Can I take that next step? And I did. One more step, no problem. Step after that, no trouble. I never looked at the horizon. As soon as you look at the horizon, you see all the mountains in your way and you say, that's not a good plan. I think I'm gonna stop. So if you're looking for any advice from me and you wanna keep persistent on something, stars and toes. Thanks very much. That was Clint Harwood. Clint has a degree in astrophysics and has had a more checkered career than most. He currently manages an application delivery team for a major Canadian retailer. Talk audio was recorded by Tavi Burns. Podcast production was handled by Chris Molito. Laura Satula was greeting at the door. XVZF is a project by David Wolliver and Philip Matonzevier. XVZF is a regularly occurring night for Toronto tech workers to come together and share true personal stories. Find out more at xvzf.io.